Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the We're All Screwed Up and That's Okay podcast with me, Dawn Walton. Today we're going to talk about the curse of the word should and possibly various other language things that go with it. But first I want you to think about something. I want you to spend a few moments thinking about how you would describe yourself. Make them I am statements. Don't just make it about how you would describe yourself in a way that somebody could pick out of the crowd. Think of a way you could describe yourself in terms of who you are, what your identity is. Take a few moments, scribble a few things down, if you can. And then when you've done that, I want you to think about if I asked anybody else to do the same exercise to describe you. And when I say anybody else, could be a stranger in the street, could be uh, a close family member, could be a friend, could be anybody. How many of the things that you wrote down do you think would match what they wrote down? Because you see, the really interesting thing is the image of you that you have in your head the way you see yourself, the way you define yourself, in your head is the only place that image exists. Everybody else, from a stranger on the street to a person that knows you really well, has a totally different image of you in their head. Now, the significance of that is when you're down on yourself, when you think there's something wrong with you, when you're criticizing yourself, when you're judging yourself, because whose standard is the template that you're working towards because you're actually doing it in context of what you think other people think but we've just established that everybody sees you totally differently so who's the god <laughs> who's the one who has the ultimate say in how you should look feel act and this is the problem that we have the problem we have is that our expectations of how we should be, how we should be acting, where we should be in life, how we should cope, all linked to this word should. And should is a comparative word. It's in comparison to something else is implicit. You can't have a should if you don't have a something that it's supposed to be compared to something that it is. It's a comparison word. And the problem is that comparison. Should, as a word, often acts as the basis for most depression. Depression, in my experience, of all the, you know, something like 1,200 clients I've seen now in the last eight years, all over the world. In my experience, when somebody has been labelled as being depressed, it's a mismatch between expectations and reality. An expectation of where they should be in life versus what they feel the reality is, or an expectation of how they, <coughs> excuse me, should be coping versus the reality of how they think they're coping. It's that should word. And then what happens is when somebody's feeling really low, when somebody's really struggling, the people that care about them try and make them feel better. And how do we make them feel better? We tell them 
all the great things about them and their life. We try and anchor them into, you know, you're really lucky, you've got great friends, you've got a good job, you're really funny, good looking, whatever we say. And that actually makes that should word bigger and stronger because in your head you're going, yeah, but what they don't know. So they make the gap bigger inadvertently by pointing out all the things that are great. And now you feel twice as bad because not only do you feel rubbish about yourself and your life, you feel you should, big capital letters, think of it made out of Flintstone style rock, big words in front of you. They should be happy with their lot. Why are they being miserable when they should feel okay? Where are they in life? They should be further along. How are they coping? They should be further along. So the word should is incredibly damaging, both from an expectations about your life and an expectations about how you should look, how you should act, how you should be, how you compare to other people. I'm not as good as them. They're thinking this of me. I should react this way. I should be doing that. Listen to yourself. Listen to yourself talking. And be aware of the word should when it pops up because it's a reality twister. It screws up your reality. Because who says, <laughs> right? Who says that you should anything? Who cares that you should anything? Nobody cares. Everybody's got their own shoulds, their own reality. And everybody has a different perception of you. So the things that people are judging you for, probably not the things that you think. Probably something totally different that you're like, really? That? You're not worried about this? You're worried about that? So when you find yourself judging anything about your life, your personality, when you don't meet expectations, the trick is to work out where those expectations come from. So the biggest problem that most of my clients have is they're in this state called ELOC, E-L-O-C. I always think of it as Ewok because Ewoks are kind of cute and it's easier to remember. But Ewok means external locus of control. What it means is you define yourself by the way you're treated by other people. Now, the interesting thing about Ewok is when we say other people, I don't just mean other people around you today. You might actually not care about what other people think. You might have had a really crappy childhood and what other people think in the present is like nothing compared to the way you regard yourself from, from your growing up experiences. So when I say what other people think, that includes people from your past, people who've defined you. I'm working through some stuff at the moment and I'm working through with um, my cousin and she is 15 years older than me. And um, when she um, was about 15 years old, it's a bit more than 15 years old than me, actually. Uh, when she was about 15 years old, um, she ended up helping my mother, who was 23 at the time and had me as a kind of six-month-old baby and my brother, who's two years older than me, and had a problem with her back and was really struggling to even lift us up. And she ended up spending summer holidays and all holidays helping look after us and has a really um close connection to us and has known me my whole life and, and you know in the last 20 years I've probably had very little contact with her if any um but has known me in every stage of my life and and I've been having these conversations about how I define myself and 
one of the challenges I have is is my identity is formed based on the way the adults treated me in the first 18 years of my life, which was pretty rubbish. Um, and we're having this conversation about how do you know who you are? Think about this. How do you know who you are? How do you feel about yourself? Do you have the stories of your mother or your father or your grandparents or an auntie or an uncle or somebody that just believed in you and, and always gave you a, a great message that you've carried through? My cousin's mother, uh, who is actually, it's, it's always cousins removed, so it's actually my grandfather's sister. There you go. Um, she used to run a private school and she was an amazing lady and she really got kids. And, and what was amazing was her funeral where her character and the difference she'd made to people's lives shone through in the way she was talked about. And you think about when I speak to my cousin, she talks about having her mum's voice in her head and it helps her deal with stuff. So this isn't always like negative and boo-hoo. <laughs> we often have formed our identity from lessons in resilience or approaches or positivity or happiness or something that have been ingrained into us from the people in our childhood. And equally, we can have a negative voice in your head, think, making us feel like we always fail. Somebody who picked at us all the time, who nothing was ever good enough for. Or maybe there was somebody who was a perfectionist or even more common, a mother who had issues with her weight and didn't want her child to have those issues, so obsessed over their weight from a very young age, which made them always feel not good enough. And actually, the intent was the opposite, to not have them worry about their weight. Things done with the best intention can often cause more damage. And so when we become adults and we measure ourselves about where we are in life, who our friends are, what our strengths and weaknesses are, how we look. These are all measured with this should word against lessons we've learned growing up. And that sends us into this ELOC state, the state where everything we do is to meet other people's expectations of us, which is crazy because nobody cares. We <laughs> talked about this in another podcast, nobody cares. So the goal is to get to ILOC, where other people's opinion doesn't inform the way you feel about yourself. Only a very small percentage of my clients are able to get into that ILOC state, because it's really hard to do. Most of my life, I didn't actually care what people thought. I, I, I genuinely didn't care, because my inner world was so bad, was so negative, was so dark, that nobody else could get close. It was, it was an oblivious not caring because I just hadn't registered. I could have been bullied at school. I wouldn't have known. I could have had a rubbish teacher at school. I wouldn't have known. My inner world was, was too dark and there was too much going on in it. So by the time I hit 18 years old and I, I basically reinvented myself when I went to university, my identity had already been defined as informed. That 18-year-old version of me that those first 18 years of my life had been informed. And that's been locked in and it's not changed. And, and the therapy has allowed me to be a happy present person with a happy present life. But I still feel I've got essentially a rotten 18 year old version of me inside that I keep hidden away, which is what I'm working on, by the way, because everything can change. But this is my point with the word should. The word should has so much power over us. 
And you have to, when you hear yourself say it, you, you have to ask, who says? How do I know? Who says? Who is this all-powerful, godlike template person that defines how I feel about myself, how I feel where I am in my life? Because I'm pretty sure it's not just you. You might think it's just you, but it's not just you. Ask yourself, who in my life has taught me things that have helped define who I am? Good or bad things, doesn't matter, right? How do you know who you are? Go back to your I am statements and review them and say, where do these come from? Why are these the things I've picked out? On my social media, on my Facebook, I'd put a link to the uh, the, the Doves advert where they um, they had a portrait artist, a sketch artist, draw somebody without seeing them. And he he drew from people who'd seen that person and that person's own description of themselves. And it was really interesting to see the difference because we focus on the negative. So should. Who says? Now, if it's a negative should... And let's face it, most of us have this tend to err towards the judgmental, critical version of the way we see ourselves. If it's a negative should, and you can track back to somebody, my mother always said, my father always said, this teacher at school said, whatever it is, then what I suggest you do is you imagine that person saying that thing. And then you imagine them saying the same thing in a really silly voice. A voice like Donald Duck or a minion or like they've breathed in a helium balloon or something else that you find blatantly ridiculous. Now, the way your memory works is there's nothing true. Everything is stacked. There's no absolute memories. You remember the things that have significance. You don't have enough space in your brain for everything. You've experienced something like 7,363,228 minutes by the time you're 14 years old. You cannot remember all of them. And your brain does a whole kind of clearing and processing thing in your adolescent years anyway. But you can't remember everything. So what your brain does is it's like this upside down pyramid. It stores a significant event and then it links all the others to it. It's significant because, 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 and everything gets linked. And so you end up with this spider web almost of everything linked so you can get back to that core memory really easily with some sort of emotional trigger. Now, that initial memory was locked in based on whatever age you were. And we've talked in a previous podcast about brain development and how your brain is not fully developed until your mid-20s. And as you gain new understanding, you overwrite and replace these memories. So you're always updating these key memories with new information and replacing what was there before. And actually, if you go back to the raw one, the core one, it was never as you would have remembered it because it was based on the age you were. If you look at it now as an adult, it would be very, very different and you'd see it very differently. But it's too late because it's locked in and it's linked into all these other things. So... If you go back and you find one of those memories and you make it ridiculous, because your brain can't remember everything, it only remembers the things that hurt you because things that hurt you could kill you and death is a bad thing. So if it remembers everything that could hurt you, it can keep you away from it for the rest of your life. But what if it's something that somebody said that makes you feel rubbish about yourself? 
you can't stay away from that because you're not around that person anymore. But anybody else could at any moment call you something like that. So it just keeps you in this state of remembering. So if you go back and take that memory and you make it ridiculous, and changing the voice is the easiest way. Because if I say to you, don't think of a pink elephant, you'll think of a pink elephant, right? So once you've once you've heard a different voice, you can't unhear it. Every time that person speaks, they'll have the silly voice. By the way, I apologize if that person is still in your life because next time you speak to them, you're going to giggle because they'll sound silly. But anyway, that's a small price to pay, right? So you go back and you change their voice to a silly voice. And what happens is your brain goes, well, if that wasn't the way I remember it, then that can't be true and that can't be true. And the structure collapses. We don't change what happens, but we change the meaning. And if the meaning is ridiculous, you don't need to hold on to it. You don't need to link it to the other stuff. And then it doesn't become a factor in your day-to-day life. Your brain is not constantly accessing it, which means it's let go of the worry about being hurt, which means you can use your thinking brain, which means you could just go, no, that's just silly. I don't need to think about that. And you can move towards a more eye-lock point of view, internal locus of control. And you can lose the word should because, you know, you can't time travel, you can't control people. So who cares? Right? Who cares? There is no should. You're just doing the best that you can. In every moment of your life, you're doing the best that you can. And you are the only version of you that you can be because you can't go back and be some other version of you. So, So what's happening is because we're never present, should is your warning. It's like a warning signal going off, right? We're comparing, we're comparing. What are we comparing to? Where's this expectation coming from? See it as big letters in front of you and knock it out of the way. Should has no place. Who says? Why are they so important? Why do they care? Why should somebody else have so much power over the way you feel about yourself? So lose the word should. Try this with the memories. By the way, you can do this with any memory. Now, if it's a really tricky memory and you're finding it difficult to reimagine that person's voice, you can do visual stuff with it. You can imagine blurring it out. You can zoom in so there's can't see the detail or zoom out so you can't see the detail. You can make it color or black and white. You can mess around with the visuals. So you might find the visuals easier to mess around with than the audio side of it. I'm a really visual person, so I find that a lot easier. Do what works for you. But if you mess around with it, you can't change what happens, but it's not what happens that causes the problem. It's the meaning, and the meaning is locked in at a time where we don't understand meaning. So if we change the meaning by messing around with the memory, then it just becomes another of the millions of memories and doesn't get triggered and doesn't get accessed. So pay attention. Write down the I am statements. Ask other people to write down their she is, he is, they are statements. And B, remember my three A's, right? Awareness, acceptance, and action. Be aware when you say the word should. Accept that it's come from a place. Take action to take control and not let it have power over you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon.